0: So we turn to Psalm 3 tonight and I draw your attention to the last verse. Psalm 3 verse 8 Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. In this psalm David ending with this verse is certainly ending on a very high note. It is in fact the highest note that is possible. I don't think any New Testament saint could ever rise any higher than this. To be able to say with all his heart salvation belongeth unto God. And his blessing is with his people. That is the apex of the great theological pyramid of Holy Scripture. Salvation is of God. Not even the Apostle Paul could ascend any higher than that. This is the whole summary of the Bible teaching. This is the essence of the Christian faith. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah himself, we read chapter 2 of his prophecy, Jonah himself under similar circumstances reached that same climax where he come to say the very same thing. Salvation is of the Lord. Now the word salvation here reminds us of the name of the Lord Jesus. Yeshua. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. That's salvation. Savior. He shall save his people from their sins. And that's what we have here in the verse. There is the Lord. There is that salvation which is his and there are his people to whom he brings that salvation blessing. His people, the Lord, and salvation. You'll call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So salvation is of the Lord and sin in the name of Jesus. David didn't say this at the start of the psalm. It is at the end. He was brought to this conclusion, his experience this day brought him to rediscover this, or certainly to re-proclaim this, that salvation is of God. I know what you're thinking, perhaps. You're saying maybe, well, this is not New Testament salvation. This is not Pauline theology as such. This is just a a local deliverance uh, where David is in trouble. He is being rebelled against by Absalom and there is a danger to his life and to his crown and David is saved out of that. He's delivered. He's delivered from the hand of Absalom. He's delivered from the hand of the the rebels. Uh, And there are those who, who would say just David here being saved from Absalom's rebellion. Is that all? Well, I I disagree with that. And I have to add another word. Not. Not just delivered from Absalom's rebellion. Yes, it includes that. It's involved in that. But it's not only that. It is true of every salvation. David isn't talking about his own deliverance merely. Yes, he's including that, but he's going beyond that. Every deliverance, every salvation that there could possibly be is of God. God is the deliverer. God is the saviour. And it is especially true concerning the great salvation from sin. Now we don't wish to take away from the historic context of Psalm 3 in, in Absalom's rebellion. Oh, indeed we cannot do that. We have to always keep the Bible in its context. The context is essential. The context is part of the illumination of the whole of Scripture. And so we, we never wrench Scripture out of its context. The verse remains in its context but the truth that we're speaking about the salvation of God is still contained in it, even in the context of a local deliverance. David did need deliverance from the rebellion. And for that he prayed, and that he obtained. I do want to keep it in his context before we proceed, because only the Lord can deliver you physically. It's true physically. Even forgetting about our soul and eternal life and salvation from sin We need God's physical protection. God is our deliverer from sickness and from disease and from accident and harm. This is true of David's life. It's true of his crown and reign. And it's true of our physical life as well. Totally in God's hands. He gives us food. He gives us air to breathe. He gives us the light to shine upon us. It's all of God life, preservation of life, deliverance it's all of God he raises up the forces to protect us in society he keeps us safe on the roads, it's all in his hands, all the safety and protection, in the physical realm it's all true, even in war even in time of war the Bible says the horse is prepared against the day of battle They get their tanks. They have all their vehicles. But safety is of the Lord. It's only the Lord who protects them. And who defends us. It's true in everyday life. You might do the best you can. You can look after yourself. You can eat well. You can dress well. You can drive very, very carefully. You can look left and you can look right when you cross the road. Yes, you can be extra careful... But your life is not in your own hands. It's in the hands of God who keeps you, who protects you. How many times have you looked left or right and you missed? You didn't see clearly, you missed, even though it was there, but you didn't it didn't register with you and you've pulled out and yet the Lord preserved you. Or maybe you're driving along carefully, but Someone else coming in the opposite direction isn't so careful, or someone pulls out in front of you isn't so careful. Your life isn't in your hands, it's in the Lord's hands. He's our deliverer, He's our Savior. You may choke on your food, you may pick up a simple germ and it becomes septic, and you get sepsis in your body, you may get a little virus. And it can bring you to the grave. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. It's the Lord who is our deliverer and our savior in all these physical and daily things. So it's true of life at all times. And you can recall many times, I am sure, in your life when the Lord delivered you and you knew it was his intervention, it was a providence. And he spurred you. He delivered you. In that sense he is the saviour of all men. Because he gives all men deliverances. A different than many times in their lives. And raises us all up from sickness. He is the saviour in that regard. Physically. Our protector. However it's not only confined to that. It is even more so in the spiritual realm. In the realm of sin and judgment. In the area where our depravity is our own destroyer. And where our sin is our slayer. And where God's judgment would become our tormentor. If it were not for God to deliver us from that. From ourselves and from our sin. And from the judgment to come. It's equally true in that realm. It's even more true in that realm. And so in this climax, David is rising to see this. He doesn't just say, deliverance from Absalom belongs unto God. He says, salvation belongs to God. All salvation. Every salvation. Especially the great salvation. It belongs to God. So it's in the text even without taking it out of its context. David knows this, I suggest to you. And even if he didn't know this, it's the Holy Spirit who gives him the words. And he's writing down the words of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit who puts the words in his mouth is proclaiming to us that salvation is of the Lord. Because David, you know, did speak the words of the Holy Spirit. He said, the Spirit of the Lord spake by me. And his words were in my mouth. So this is the word of God. When he says salvation belongs unto the Lord. So what is said here is true of the lesser salvation. But it's even more true of the greater salvation. We're arguing from the lesser to the greater. If I can illustrate that, maybe there's a hundred tons and you have to push it up the hill. Can you do that? No. You need God to push a hundred tons up the hill. But what if it's a million tons? The greater need, the greater salvation. Can you do that any more than the lesser? No, you need God to help you to push up that million tons just as much as you need him to push up that hundred tons. And that's why this verse is true of the great salvation. If I need God to save me from my rebellious son, I need God to save me from my sin and from myself. So this great salvation is contained in this verse. Even more so, only God can save us from eternal death. Now this word salvation doesn't only occur at the end of the psalm. It is also used at the beginning. But our translators have not used the same English word. You have it there in verse 2. Many there be would say of my soul, There is no help for him in God. And that word help is the same word salvation. The very same word. So the wicked are saying there there is no salvation for him in God. None. They're saying he can't be saved. And they thought that. Absalom thought he hadn't destroyed. Absalom thought he hadn't a chance. There's no salvation for him. He's beyond deliverance now. He's beyond the intervention even of God now. The possibility of salvation is past. It's gone. There's no salvation for him in God. There's no hope for him. Now that showed the arrogance of the wicked, didn't it? That they would even dare assert that. That, That's foolish self-confidence. I dare say it's even blasphemy to say there's no salvation in God for him that that he's beyond salvation that there's no hope for him we dare not say that of any man we wouldn't dare say it of David the man of God but, but we wouldn't even dare say it of the worst sinner there's no salvation for him in God the Bible doesn't teach that the Bible teaches salvation is of the Lord. And there's no man we dare say to, you, there's no salvation for you in God. There's no hope for you. That's not the gospel message. That these enemies of David aren't preaching the gospel message, they're preaching lies. No salvation for him. The gospel message is, there is salvation for you. There is deliverance for you. You can obtain it. That's a gospel message. You might feel that you're the worst sinner in the world. Now I doubt that you are the worst sinner in the world. But, but you might feel like that. Um, with the feeling I'm not going to argue. I think it's a good thing to feel that you might be the worst sinner in the world. Though do not despair at the feeling. But even if you were the worst sinner in the world. We will not we could not, we dare not say there is no salvation for you in God. The opposite is true. There is salvation. In fact, salvation is of the Lord. It's of God. There is a Savior. There is even salvation in God for you if you but repent. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the very same word occurs in verse 2. And it also occurs in verse 7. Not in the same form. It's in its verbal form in verse 7. But you'll see there David prays. In this new morning as he goes into battle. Arise, O Lord. Save me. O my God. So here he's praying for God's salvation, and he's looking to God for salvation. He said, "Save me, Lord Absalom! Strong, I'm weak. I'm poor and needy. I'm in a desperate plight and in an awful situation. I'm perishing. Lord, save me! Arise in your might and save me." So he's praying for this deliverance, this salvation. He asks God about it. He's seeking it, this salvation. And sinners have to feel their danger. Sinners have to sense the awful plight that they are in and the helplessness that they have as sinners who are depraved and of the terrible wrath and judgment of God which hangs up over their heads. Sinners ought to have a sense of that danger. And pray for salvation. And recognize that they need a saviour. And that they have to find a saviour. Or they will perish. So they have to seek salvation. Even though salvation is of the Lord. The sinner has to pray. Lord save me. The Bible says. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Shall be saved. So yes. Yes. There is salvation for you. And there is salvation for you in calling upon the name of the Lord. Now in looking at this verse which is the climax of the psalm. I consider with you now. When did David reach this climax? At the end obviously. Yes there is no question about that. But at the end of what? You see, the thing about this psalm, it was written at different times. There's a prayer before, the night before, then there's the next day. This last verse here, when did David speak it? Where is it in the chronology of the psalm? This exclamation, this praise and glorifying God as the only Savior, when did he actually come to say this and there are two possibilities it could be the climax of faith in the day as he goes out to battle with Absalom you see he's passed the crisis he's told the Lord about the many enemies he's prayed the Lord has heard his prayer the Lord has given grace into his heart and instilled in him courage and he goes out now to battle And he says, Arise, O Lord, save me. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. He has confidence, he has faith. And as he goes into battle, he's saying, Salvation belongs unto the Lord. His blessings on his people. Is he saying that as part of his confidence? As he goes into battle? As he goes to face the forces of Absalom in his army? Is this part of the mourning of battle? Salvation belongs to God. Now verse 7, whenever he talks about all the enemies of God being smitten upon the cheekbone and their teeth broken. This may be a horrific description of warfare or battle. You know, battles in ancient times were horrible. Especially close contact battles. And the secret was to be swift in cutting down your enemy. And usually a good thrust to the jaw and to the face with a hammer or a mallet or an axe or a sword just was effective enough to take the momentum out of your opponent, even if it didn't kill him instantly. He wasn't going to you know be much of a problem after a broken jaw and a smashed in face and head. And so it may be the horrors of battle that are being described here. God deals with the enemies. It may be that he's looking upon the enemies as beasts, as animals. And their teeth is their ferocity with which they devour their prey. And he may be picturing the enemies as as wild beasts. Who whenever God smashes their teeth, they're pretty useless. They don't do much devouring after their teeth are smashed in. So it may be that he's picturing them as as beasts, but it's God who does it. It's God who gives the deliverance in that way, in dealing with the enemies. And he's saying, I'm in God's hands, and this is what God will do. He'll get the victory. Salvation is his. The power is his. His blessing is with his people. And he'll deliver them and save them. So he, he, he seems to be going in with assurance, with conviction, with faith. And a case can be made for that. And the Christian can't have insurance. Even before he dies and goes to heaven. Even before he's finished the battle. and Finished the fight and the warfare has ended. Even while he's going into the warfare. He can have assurance. He can have assurance that God will deal with the devil in his life. He can have assurance that God will deal with sin in his life. He can have assurance that God will make him the victor and the conqueror. And bring him at last to the end of the battle. And into the heavenly glory. So the Christian can have assurance. And he should be able to say every day. Before he even reaches heaven. "Salvations of the Lord. If I'm saved, I'm saved because of his grace. And because of his power. His blessing is upon his people. They can't lose that. God can't lose his people. God can't take away the blessing from his people. They're saved for eternity. Even though they're still in time. Even though they still have to battle and do the warfare. Even though they still have to face the devil and Absalom and all this and that. They can still have assurance. Salvation is of the Lord and Christians ought to have assurance in their faith and trust in Christ I know whom I have believed Paul could say I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ he could say it's a power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes he didn't have to wait to get to heaven to find this out and to have this assurance John says, I write these things unto you that you may know that you have salvation, that you have eternal life. He didn't have to wait to get to heaven to be able to know this. You can know it now and you ought to do so. And whosoever believeth on him has everlasting life, has salvation. And so the child of God knows now that salvation is only of the Lord. He's able to save to the uttermost. All them that come on to God by him. The the child of God knows now. Neither is there salvation in any other. He knows now. Even though he's battling sin and the flesh and the world. and Sometimes it looks like a poor battle. On his part. But he's believing in Christ. And he knows he's saved. And the Lord will bring him through to the end in his grace. Because the salvation is not of works or of my efforts and merit, but of the Lord. Of the Lord. So there is this confidence possibly here. However, there is another possibility. I think that this may be the case. It is the praise after the event. After Absalom has been dealt with. After all the opposition has been removed. And David comes back again to Jerusalem. And he makes his way to the courts of God. To the tabernacle. To the vicinity of the Ark of the Covenant. And he worships God. And he says salvation is of the Lord. He gives God the glory. Do you see what I'm saying? we are perceiving a time gap between verse 7 and verse 8 we are perceiving David having been restored to Jerusalem and having obtained the victory having gone through the battle it's over, it's won, it's finished and he's landed safe back again in the Jerusalem in the Zion of the Lord to praise God and to magnify him you see there's an obligation on David to give glory to God Whenever he has won the battle and the victory. To praise and magnify him. This salvation that he sought. Lord save me. You see when you seek salvation there is a vow implied in that. That you will glorify the Lord if he will save you. You know whenever the Lord saves us. We are under obligation to glorify him. It's called in the Bible about our vows being upon us. Praise, waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion, and unto thee shall the vow be performed. That's the vow of acknowledging God and giving him the glory for the salvation. So the climax is that, an exclamation, David fulfilling his vow, David going into the house of God and saying, Lord, the salvation is all yours. And your blessing is on your people. And you have all the glory of it. And it's interesting whenever you read the book of Jonah. Whenever he quotes this word salvation is of the Lord. How does he put it? He says I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. And then he says salvation is of the Lord. What Jonah is saying there. Lord you save me out of this whale's belly. I'll be under obligation to praise you. To give you the worship. That's my vow. And the fulfillment of his vow is this. Saying. Salvation is of the Lord. So it's bringing glory to God. David does that now. He comes home. Home safe and secure. He comes near to God's house again. He approaches God's ark. And this is what he writes down. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. And that's like whenever the battle's over and you die and you go to heaven. This is like what the saints do in heaven. Well, what do they do when they get to heaven? The battle's over. The devil's been defeated. The world and the flesh has all been done. We've conquered. We've overcome. We've got safe to the heavenly shore. What do you do when you get to the heavenly shore? Do you say, oh, my works have been so good. I've got here because I've been so good. Is that what they say? In the heavenly shore? Is that how they glorify God? With their robes of white upon them. And their crowns of gold. Is that how they glorify God? By exalting themselves? No. Whenever they leave the world behind. And the battle behind. And they get safely onto the heavenly shore. They arrive there. You know what they say? In fact, I'll show you what they say. When they're safe in the Father's house, this is what they say. Revelation chapter 7. And the verse 9. After this I beheld. And lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, and peoples, and tongues, stood before God, and before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, Palms in their hands. Those are palms of victory. The war is over. The battle is won. The strife is finished. They're conquerors now. They're coming in to possess the inheritance. And they cry with a loud voice. Do you see what they say? Salvation to our God. Which sitteth upon the throne. And unto the Lamb. Do you see what they sing in heaven? They sing Psalm 3 verse 8 in heaven. They say salvation belongs to God. Salvation to the Lord. Salvation to the Lamb. That's what they sing in heaven. That's the climax after the battle. And that's why I believe verse 8 is the climax. Whenever Absalom has been dead, and the forces of evil completely annihilated and defeated, and David safe back in Jerusalem, like the child of God safe in heaven. And what does he do? He reaches this climax. Salvation belongs to God. So there you have it. And, um, brethren and sisters, really, we won't fully feel. Or know the extent of this salvation until we're there. I mean we can't sing now by faith salvation is of the Lord. But it will be totally different when you're there. You'll see that it's, it's the Lord's salvation. That's what you'll say. Oh Lord I just got here because of your salvation. I just got here because of your grace. I know it. There's no doubt about it in my mind. Salvation to God. They said. So there's nothing about works, sir. Nothing about human merit. Nothing about prayers to Mary and the saints and their mediatorial interests. Nothing about the power of all of the saintly intercession. No, Lord, it's your salvation. Your salvation. And so it's true. Salvation belongs unto God, congregation. It's not of works. It's of grace. It's not of man. It's of God. It belongs to the Father. It belongs to the Son. It belongs to God the Holy Spirit. God planned it. God brought it into the world. God sent it in the person of his Son. Christ Jesus the Lord. Who obtained it for us. By his life and death. He ensured it for his saints by the sacrifice of his crosswork. And the Holy Spirit imparts it and implants it into our hearts and lives and gives us the faith to receive it and brings us to the climax where we say, It's all of God. And it is all of God, congregation. John Calvin couldn't have said it any better. Salvation is of the Lord. And heaven's blessing. That's on his people. So it's all of God. It's all of grace. Alone of grace. And there's no boasting. No lauding one's works. One's faith. Or one's denomination. Nothing of men. All of God. And that is what God has ever been saying in his word and in the gospel age after age after age. I, even I, am the Lord and there is no savior beside me. I know not any. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is No one else. The only Savior. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills. And from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God. Is the salvation of Israel. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given amongst men. Whereby we must be saved. So let Christians and those of you who are saved. Give glory of salvation to God. The glory of it all to him. And let sinners know that they need salvation and they need a savior. And that savior can only be our Lord Jesus Christ. You can have salvation. You can obtain it. You certainly need it. But you may obtain it. But you will only obtain it. Through faith. In him. Who is the only salvation. So then believe. On the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. So put your faith. In his name. And say as David said. Arise O Lord. Save me, O my God. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.